I'm Gregory Berg. Today's Morning Show podcast features an interview that I recorded back in December of 2008 with one of the world's most prolific and successful authors, Clive Custler, who passed away earlier this week. You are listening to The Morning Show on WGTD, Kenosha Racine, Elkhorn and Lake Geneva, NPR News and classical music on your gateway to public radio. I'm Gregory Berg. We finish out The Morning Show today with uh, one of the most successful authors before the public today, Clive Custler, who has been uh, writing best-selling books over the course of four decades, including 20 different novels uh, surrounding an interesting character uh, named Dirk Pitt. And uh, some of Clive Custler's bestsellers he has co-written with his own son, Dirk Custler. And by the way, Clive Custler hails from Aurora, Illinois, so a product of the Midwest. And again, one of uh, the great success stories in recent American fiction. His most recent novel, co-written by his son, Dirk, is called Arctic Drift. I asked Clive Custler to tell the story of how he began uh, writing. It had something to do with his wife getting a part-time job. Yes, she decided that, you know, she wanted to do something, and it worked out. She found um, a job as uh, working nights at the local police department, um, not as an officer, but as a dispatcher, secretary, that sort of thing. And it worked very well, because I'd drive home from L.A. Uh, for my advertising job, and um, she'd leave, and so we just <laughs> I took over with the kids. And uh, after feeding them and then putting to bed, I didn't have anything to do. And I thought, well, I think I'll write a book. And since I didn't have the great American novel burning inside me, I thought it'd be fun to do a little paperback series. So I studied all the series characters. Uh, Inspector Dupont, Edgar Allan Poe's was the first, and then, of course, Sherlock Holmes and uh, my camera, James Bond, Travis McGee, and so on. And uh, then I thought, well, what can I do that's different? So I thought I'd take my hero and put him in and around water, and Dirk Pitt more or less was born, and we, we went from there. Tell us, ahead of 1965, how much writing had you done? I mean, was that something you had enjoyed, for instance, in school, or I mean, to what extent were you coming at this completely as an amateur? I, uh, in school, I, I got fair, pretty good grades in English, but I just thought I was lucky. <laughs> I didn't, uh, didn't really put out any effort. But I was a copywriter in advertising for 15 years. And so um, I think that helped me when I, I, I didn't have any aspirations of writing a book at all until, as they say, my wife was working nights. But um, it helped uh, the writing the short, snappy advertising copy. I knew I could never write a big literary book. Uh, but it did help to uh, make fascinating and interesting and easy to read, you know, adventure tales. Mm. Um, uh, uh, Dirk Kussler, I don't want you sitting by idly too long in this interview. Uh, could we hear a little bit about how you first began uh, aspiring to be a writer yourself? I assume it has at least something to do with this amazingly successful father of yours. Well, that's, that's it, and I don't think it was any grand design on either one of our parts. Uh, I had actually uh, uh, started to work with uh, one of Clive's earlier co-authors, Craig Durgo, on a, a nonfiction story, and was just kicking around in that a little bit, and uh, 
dad had, had finished Trojan Odyssey, and I think he was getting a little bit burned out on the writing process. And uh, he just called me up one day and, and asked, uh, I guess having seen a, that I had some interest in writing, uh, whether I'd want to take a crack at uh, co-writing a, a pit book. And uh, so after I, I picked myself up off the ground, I said, sure, let's give it a shot. And, uh, and so we kind of went gone from there. So you make it sound like it was uh, a very happy, shocking surprise that that invitation came your way. Is that what you're saying? Well, yeah. I, I, I certainly uh, I used to work in the field of finance, and, and I, I didn't really have a, a career aspiration to be a writer. I think having having grown up in a and with a father as a writer, it, it wasn't a foreign concept. And I think somewhere I always thought about maybe possibly writing a book. But uh, uh, certainly I never, never considered uh, uh, making a career out of it as, as he had. Mm. Clive Kessler, your, your professional background uh, ahead of when you really started seriously writing included not only a, a stint in, uh, in advertising and, and it was an award-winning uh, experience you had uh, in advertising, but also a, a yes, career. I, 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 I guess I was fairly lucky. I, I, I did uh, come up with, and work with some really you know, fine campaigns for Bank of America and Budweiser and then uh, oh gosh, uh, APAC or Ajax uh, cleanser. Um, so it was. Uh, uh, it was kind of fun times. I enjoyed it, but I, I, I don't know. It was frustrating being in advertising. And then the older you get, too, you know, they want the younger person. So I'm sure that if I hadn't started writing, I'd have been probably, you know, out on the street. Part of your background is also uh, a, a stint uh, in the U.S. Air Force. And I wonder if you can point to any specific ways in which that experience uh, has been of value to you in the writing that you have done over the years? Oh, I think it's mostly been when I'd have to research and, and knowing about, about, like I used the airplanes I worked on in a book called um, Fixin' 03, and then I used Hawaii as a background where I was flying in and out of Hickam Field and working on aircraft. Uh, so the, it, I would say it was uh, not so much the uh, the impact on the writing it, itself, but on the background that I used and on the plot. Hmm. And of course, that's one of the things which uh, enriches all of these books, including Arctic Drift, the, the book that we're talking about uh, today. I want to talk to both of you about this uh, real-life work which uh, both of you have enjoyed in exploring shipwrecks, more than 60 of them, I, I believe, uh, as uh, part of this uh, organization which uh, you have founded called the National Underwater and Marine Agency, uh, which, we, uh, which we see mentioned actually in the pages of this book. Tell us a little bit about this interest which uh, both uh, you, father and son, have had and where this has taken you around the world. Well, I, <clears throat> I became interested in, in looking for shipwrecks. The first one we looked for was uh, John Paul Jones' ship, The Bonham Richard. And I more or less got hooked. I've often, often joked that if it's lost, I'll look for it. And then uh, the National Underwater and Marine Agency, or NUMA, in the book, it was suggested that we, since if we're going to look for historical shipwrecks, and, you know, as a nonprofit uh, agency, that we should... Um, you know, become a nonprofit foundation, which we we did. Since we don't look for treasure, which probably sounds a little strange, but um, 
that's how it uh, it all started and then we've had we've had quite a some luck we, we fail more often than not but we we found the uh, confederate submarine hunley which they raised and are conserving um, the carpathia which they rescued the titanic survivors uh, the very celeste uh, the famous ghost ship and and a lot of civil war wrecks too so it's been kind of fun. I, I'm not a dedicated uh, author like, uh, say, Stephen King, who writes the end and then five minutes later he types chapter one on the next one. So, yeah, I always went and fooled around for six months on the shipwrecks. And um, Dirk is president of Newman. He can tell you a little about, uh, about the latest expeditions. Please do. Well, we've had uh, two projects lately that uh, we've been focused on. One is a... Uh, a Northwest Airlines DC-4 that crashed into Lake Michigan in 1950 uh, was actually uh, uh, at the worst uh, fatalities of any air crash at uh, that point in time. And uh, uh, that just vanished uh, uh, above the lake in a, in a terrible storm. And uh, so we've been searching an area uh, in the lake for that one. And then uh, another project which we've been working on for many years now is uh, a search for a uh, Revolutionary War ship called the Bonhomme Richard, which was uh, John Paul Jones' warship. And that's sink in the North Sea off the east coast of England. And we've been after that one for quite some time, and uh, we'll be back again this summer again to, to make another attempt to locate her. I imagine that's an inhospitable place to be looking for a shipwreck. It can be. It can be. Uh, there's, there's usually just a brief window in the summer uh, where the seas are calm enough for us to get out there. And uh, we, we often get beat up by the weather while we're there. But, uh, yeah, it can be a rough place. By interesting coincidence, as I'm speaking to you now Monday morning, recording this interview over the air on my program, is airing a, an interview with a, a local author who's written a wonderful nonfiction account of the sinking of the Carl D. Bradley, which uh, was a, a, a shipwreck in the northern part of Lake Michigan 50 years ago. And uh, talking to him and reading his book, and on other occasions, uh, I'm just reminded of the, the uh, incredible sense of drama that is involved when uh, when shipwrecks occur and it sounds like uh, both of you have been uh, bitten by a similar bug but unlike the rest of us who are content to read about it you are actually getting out there and searching out these shipwrecks it is uh, it is a challenge because um uh, shipwrecks, uh, <laughs> they are never found until they want to be found, and when you do find them, they're never where they're supposed to be. Let's talk about your newest book, which is Arctic Drift. And just ahead of digging into a couple of facts about the plot, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about how the two of you collaborate, how you write together a, a book like Arctic Drift. How does, uh, what are the nuts and bolts of that? Well, Dirk does the uh, uh, most of practically all the writing. We get together in the beginning and work out the concept. You always have to have a what-if concept. You know, like what if they raise the Titanic, or what if they find the Alexandria Library, things like that. And then uh, we'll sit down and work out the plotting. And we have to have an ending to work towards. And uh, the characters, of course, will figure that out. Dirk will start writing, and then, you know, every hundred pages he'll send them to me, and I'll make suggestions and do some editing, and uh, that's just the way it works until we finish the book. Hmm. How harmonious a collaboration does it tend to be? I mean, are there some spirited differences of opinion between the two of you as the book takes shape? Yes, <laughs> Dirk, go ahead. <laughs> uh, really not. I, I have to say, I mean, we see eye to eye on, on, on most everything. 
and uh, uh, he's a he's a pretty light hand at the editing process as well. So uh, uh, surprisingly, no, I, I can't say that there's ever been any conflict over the writing process between us. One of the really fast. I wanted to uh, write differently than most authors. So in a series, which fun on this one rather than a James Bond who never ages. Uh, Pitt and the other characters do age, and Pitt finally got married, and then he found he had two children he didn't know he had. So it's a generational thing now. They'll they'll eventually, down the line, I suppose, take over, just like Dirk will take over all the writing from me. Uh, and this is, of course, the character Dirk Pitt, who is a marine engineer and a government agent and an adventurer, kind of an interesting mix. And uh, what makes this particular plot especially timely is that it involves uh, worldwide concerns about the environment and, and new sources of energy and so on. And the really unsettling possibility of, of there being people out there who are going to uh, <laughs> turn these events and, and our planetary need uh, towards their own gain. Um, talk for a moment about uh, that idea and how it plays out in the pages of this novel and what you thought about in, in crafting that, that part of this plot. Well, part of that, I suppose, uh, stems from just what we've seen in, in global warming and uh, the impact in the Arctic in particular. Uh, just last year, I think they've, they had the warmest uh, uh, average temperatures uh, ever recorded in the Arctic. So uh, global warming is, is having a profound impact in that particular part of the planet. And uh, as, a, as a starting point, I guess we, we sort of postulate, well, what if, what if the Northwest Passage suddenly becomes a, uh, an open waterway, which probably is no longer a big if, but more a question of when. And uh, uh, as a part of that, uh, uh, there's uh, certainly been a tremendous amount of interest now in, in the resources up in that region, uh, oil and gas and, and other natural resources. So uh, as a backdrop against that, uh, certainly there can be a, a lot of uh, conflicting interests, uh, both privately and, and politically, uh, to, to acquire those resources. In, in, uh, in the pages of this book, one of the one of the villains, I guess we could say, is someone who has uh, created a company and supposedly a process by which uh, some of these environmental concerns are being addressed when in fact uh, they're not, and in fact uh, damage is being done instead. I wonder if you would talk for a moment about anything that, in particular that, that inspired that twist. I think it's just some of the technologies that are that are taking hold right now. Uh, one of them is, is with with the carbon dioxide uh, sequestration. Uh, certainly, there's just there's people are looking at different technologies in order to address uh, both uh, the global warming and uh, the release of uh, greenhouse gases. And certainly, that's that's one technology where uh, to capture that and and, and uh, sequester that away. And and certainly. Uh, without you know proper monitoring, maybe you know that uh, that's covering up other other financial gains that uh, people are pursuing for the for the resources. Right, and one of course the the unsettling possibility here is, what if somebody took something, and uh, instead of properly sequestering it, where it's not going to damage anything or or anybody, what if somebody. Uh, was sequestering that in a way that was ultimately counterproductive. And, of course, we can imagine all kinds of ways in which uh, that might actually play
play out in the world. That doesn't seem like a, a, a particularly outrageous uh, plot in fiction. That seems like something that could be all too real. Well, it's interesting uh, when you when all these realities that could come to into focus someday uh, that it'll be one that nobody counts on. You know, it's a, it's strange how you know history plays out into the future that. We it's so many things happen that we we just don't conceive of, and that's uh, that's that's what makes it truly interesting. So in fiction, we we try to maybe leapfrog into this area and and um, maybe play Nostradamus a little bit and then come up with plots that uh, uh, are realistic, uh, but maybe a little far fetched. But still, you never know when they might occur. One of the things I especially love about this book is how it begins 160 years ago uh, with an old expedition up into the Arctic Ocean, and it is though you take us there. <laughs> you take us to the Arctic and, and really help us experience what that would be like to, to face that kind of, of, of brutal challenge. It's almost as though you lived that in another life. Uh, how is it that you can write so vividly in that way? Oh, it's, uh, I think it's both of our fascination with history. And uh, that's that's why in all the books on the Dirk Pitt books, it always starts with a prologue that's uh, you know in the past, and then it always comes to to you know prominence at the end of the book. And uh, so that's the the historical end of it is is fun to use as a basis. And then of course the Franklin expedition is is uh, a great mystery and uh, intriguing and, and of great interest. And they're still looking for uh, his two ships, the Erebus and the Terror, which they never found. And when the ice was crushing the ships, uh, they all, the crews, took off for land and started hiking uh, south and slowly died off. And one of the reasons was their um, their food supplies were in, you know, in tin cans and uh, they were sealed with lead and they figured, they found some of the skeletons that uh, they had lead poisoning. It's an amazing uh, new book which uh, ties together uh, past and present and future. The book is called Arctic Drift, and it is co-written by Clive Custler and Dirk Custler. It is published by G.P. Putnam's and Sons. And uh, Clive Custler, Dirk Custler, I was honored to speak with you today on the morning show. My thanks to you and best wishes with all of your future all writing. Right. Thank you so much. Thank you, Greg. This interview was uh, recorded and initially broadcast uh, back in December of 2008. Clive Custler, one of the two guests heard on this uh, interview, uh, passed away on the 24th of February. He was 88 years old and still writing at the time of his death. I'm Gregory Berg. Thanks for listening.